Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined by Jason Falls. Jason is an author, speaker, thought leader, and podcast host. He's the senior influence strategist for Cornette, a full-service advertising agency where he leads digital strategy and hosts two marketing podcasts, Digging Deeper and Winfluence. Over his career, his projects have been recognized with several national and regional awards, such as 2020's Shorty Award for his influencer marketing work. His most recent book, Winfluence, Reframing Influencer Marketing to Ignite Your Brand, was published in February from Entrepreneur Press. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Jason. Thanks for having me, Nathan. Glad to be here. Can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? Oh, wow. Um, uh, super passionate about. Well, I mean, I, I, I work an awful lot. Um, but uh, I think you know, when it comes to passion, I think the, the thing that I've always been passionate about is sports. And my uh, kids and I have um, season tickets to both Louisville City FC, which is sort of the second tier professional soccer team in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, not MLS, but the one rung below that. And then we have now this year, a major league women's soccer team called racing Louisville. So we have season tickets to both of those. And we love going to matches, really passionate about our teams. And, uh, that's where we let loose and let off steam and have a good time. That's so fun. And I love that you get to do it with your kids. Yeah. Yeah. My son played soccer, uh, up until his freshman year, he tried out for the varsity team and didn't didn't make the cut. So he kind of hung up his cleats. My daughter played one year, but more so because her brother was playing and she just kind of wanted to, you know, experience it. Um, but we've always enjoyed, you know, sports and sporting events and watching them together and whatnot. And so uh, when the teams started here in Louisville, I thought we're going to do season tickets and go because it's something we can share and share some passion in. And that's what we did. Definitely. And I love soccer. I was in Brazil in, what was that? 19, like 1994 mm-hmm. when Brazil won the world cup. Nice. And the country, the whole country watched every game, the whole country just shut down <laughs> whenever a, their national team plays. So, and, and then I was in Brazil again, I was helping an airline start down in Brazil um, when there was a world cup in Brazil, but Brazil got humiliated by Germany in that one. Thanks. Mm, so big soccer fan, played soccer for a lot of years myself, played in high school. I, nice. I share that passion. Well, I, I'm one of those rare breeds. I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost 50, and I grew up in eastern Kentucky. I didn't see a soccer match until I was well into my 20s. Um, we didn't have high school soccer where I grew up. Uh, and I wasn't much of an athlete anyway, so I probably wouldn't have played. But I worked for 15 years as a PR guy in college athletics. So I learned the game from the coaches that were coaching where I worked. Nice. Learned how to keep stats, learned all the terminology. And so I really got into it uh, in, in, in my 20s. Love it. Okay. Can you tell me about your journey to become an expert at influencer marketing? Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Uh, you know, uh, people introduce me as an expert and, and <laughs> a thought leader and all that good stuff. And I'm always flattered by that. But I just consider myself someone who's basically a PR guy um, who, evolved into the digital space. And so uh, influence marketing, sort of by definition of what it is, is something I've done my whole career. Um, I started working in public relations and media relations actually in college as a student um, and then parlayed that into uh, about a 15-year career, as I mentioned, in college athletics as a PR guy. 
And while the dynamics are a little bit different, ultimately what you're trying to do in public relations and media relations is get third-party people who have audiences, reporters, journalists, et cetera, to talk about your thing, right? So um, that's ultimately what influence marketing is. It's trying to reach an ultimate target audience through these arbiters that have audiences of their own and you know, collaborate with them, partner with them, provide them with something that they want or they need to give to their audience, something their audience wants or needs. And so it's really a public relations, media relations um, you know, practice for me. And it's what I've been doing yeah. my whole career. And so the, the nuances of the digital marketing space um, are different. Uh, influencers are not trained journalists. Uh, they don't always, uh, none of them really feel like they need third-party help creating content. They're, they're the content creators. Um, and so it's a little different to kind of work those relationships. It's a little bit, you know, harder, you know, shell to get through, you know, to have a really good back and forth with influencers than it might be a journalist who understands the role of, of PR people and that they can be a resource. Um, but the mechanism is really not different. It's really building relationships and trying to find partnerships where they win, their audience wins, you win, your clients win, everybody wins. One of the big reasons why influencer marketing has been doing so well is because the influencers are perceived as credible and businesses are finding them as a much more credible way to communicate their messages to their potential customers. That's very true. In fact, uh, part of the research that I use in my book, it was from uh, Jay Bear and Daniel Lemon have a fantastic book uh, that you may have heard of and, and you may have even read and some of your audience members probably heard of called Talk Triggers. And the, it's a great word of mouth marketing book and, and talk triggers was actually based on a research project that the two of them did called chatter matters. And it was research, I think from 2018. So it's a couple of years old now, but at the same time, it's still very, very relevant. And in that research, they, one of the questions that they asked, one of the charts and graphs they had was, um, you know, rank the, the, the different sources that you rely upon as a consumer um, for recommendations uh, and reviews when you are shopping for uh, products, you know, of, of a high, you know, dollar value, you know, something, a significant purchase. And there's, you know, personal experience with the brand and, um, you know, the reputation of the brand is on the front end of that. But like the next three or four things are recommendations from family and friends, online reviews, expert reviews, and all of those audiences are, to a degree, a division of influence, a division of influencers. And so really, influencers impact a decision for consumers on items of significant purchase far greater than the brand messaging, far greater than the website. I've even seen some research that in the B2B space, when someone is uh, trying to figure out what kind of software to buy for their company or some other B2B service, um, they spend about 65% of their time, not on brand websites, but on other websites and with other experts in that industry doing their research. So they're reading blogs, they're going to forums and message boards, they're going to LinkedIn groups, they're going to social media channels where these B2B experts are and not spending time doing all their research on, on brand websites, which is a significant shift in how consumers made decisions in B2B marketing you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, that's a tectonic shift. Mm -hmm. and, and businesses that don't adapt to that are going to pay the price. Exactly. So, I mean, influencers, even in the B2B space, and I, I argue sometimes that the B2B uh, influencer marketing space is more mature 
than B2C because influencers is the way that, that B2B companies have been doing it for decades. You know, you think about B2B lead generation, how does that happen? Typically through webinars, white papers, you know, um, you know inviting people to events and, and who, who provides the content there? Third-party experts, right? Yeah, it's it's those right. influential people in the industry. And if you can become one of those experts that's speaking at those events, you're automatically perceived as a <laughs> credible expert. Absolutely. Okay. Tell us the greatest home run you've hit so far in your career. Oh, man. Um, goodness. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I certainly am not arrogant enough to think, well, I, yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm like Barry Bonds. That's all I hit. Um, <laughs> I, there's been a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts, of course, along the way, too. My favorite story of late is um, the story that actually inspired uh, Winfluence. So what was going on uh, at the time before I had the idea to write the book? Two things kind of came together at once. You had, um, I was watching all these news stories of mainstream media talking about uh, influencers, but they were talking about influencers making mistakes and Photoshopping clouds into their pictures and doing stupid things. They were basically painting influencers into that corner of superficial, non-effective, you know, they're, they're all unethical, it's all fraudulent. Yeah. And I was really frustrated with that because I work with influencers every day and that's not the world that I know of influencers. That might be, you know, Hollywood, beauty brands, that kind of thing. But there's this vast world of, of in, incredible partners you can work with out there. So that was frustrating. At the same time, here at Cornette, we were building out a case study with the University of Kentucky healthcare system. So basically, you know, local hospital system and, and uh, healthcare providers. And uh, Cornette, our, our agency, had done a two-minute brand film to kick off an, a, a big campaign called We Are Proof. Well, how many people are voluntarily going to watch a two-minute movie about a hospital, right? That doesn't sound real appealing to most people. Um, but it was, it was made in such a way that it was a, it was a dramatic sort of cinematographic, if that's a word, storytelling you know, thing about the different lines of care uh, within the UK healthcare system, uh, you know, heart care, orthopedics, child care, that kind of thing. Um, and so it was a really well-done thing. So it was a good movie. It only takes two minutes to watch. It's not a you know, big, long film. Um, but we, they kind of came to us and said, okay, how can we get people to watch this? We want to really get some good oomph behind this. And so instead of thinking, okay, let's go out and find online influencers who can promote this film from an influencer marketing standpoint, which we did think about that. And we thought, well, okay, that's one audience that we want to promote the film. But we also know we have 21,000 University of Kentucky uh, employees. And so that's a big number of people when you're talking about a brand with a geographic footprint in central Kentucky, which is roughly half a million people. Um, and then we thought, well, we also have influential people in the community who, if they're talking about this brand film, that's going to influence people too. So what we did is we combined those three audiences. We found our local online influencers, people who had big audiences online, but were very relevant to the Lexington, um, Kentucky market because that's where UK healthcare is centered. And we engaged, uh, I think, 43 of them to go to the, the film when we posted it, because we were also trying to sort of hack the Facebook algorithm a little bit. So we wanted people to go to the film within two hours of it publishing and like the film, comment on it, and then share sharing their own story, and then share their comment and their the post with other people. And we knew based on what we understand about Facebook's algorithm that if it's recent, within the first couple hours of, of the content going live, 
if it's relevant, so it's people in the same geographic area with the same interests, et cetera, and it's resonant, people are actually engaging with the content with comments, likes, and shares. We yeah. knew that that was going to lift it organically. And so we engaged 43 online influencers. We had 75 community influential people like the mayor, the CEO of the Urban League, et cetera. And then we had the 21,000 University of Kentucky employees the day before uh, the brand team met with them, debuted the film and said, we're going to debut this publicly tomorrow and we need your help, you know, sort of spreading the word. So we gave those three audiences those instructions, go there at a certain time, uh, like, comment and tell your story and then share the content with your networks. So the long story short is Lexington, Kentucky has a population of about 320,000 people. And within a month, we had 800,000 views of the videos. Wow. So if, you, if you're doing, you know, 3x the population almost with what you're trying to do, I think you probably scored a pretty good one. And I, I was really proud of that because that integration of different audiences, different influence resources was the, the basic idea behind the influence of we've got to we've got to reframe how we think about influencers and stop thinking that it's just Instagram and YouTube. And remember, offline influencers have a huge impact. Internal employee influencers have a huge impact. And if we start thinking about influence marketing rather than influencer marketing, now all of a sudden it opens up the, the possibilities. What is the biggest failure or mistake that you've made in your career and what you <laughs> learn from it? Oh my goodness. What is the biggest? I think there's been like seven or eight. Um, oh man, probably, um, you know, from a personal perspective, I think my biggest failure was there's been two that I'll mention very quickly. One was um, being too trusting uh, of other people and not getting contracts signed for work. When I was an independent consultant, I had a client, you know, learned the lesson the hard way. I had a client who, you know, committed to this and committed to money and whatnot. And therefore I said no to a bunch of work and started working on this person's brand. And, you know, six months went by and they hadn't paid me. And I was all of a sudden in, you know, a financial tight situation because of that. So I learned my lesson on getting the paperwork taken care of and all that good stuff. But I think my, my biggest mistake from a professional perspective was very early on in the world of sort of social media exploding. I was still just coming out of my 15 years in college athletics PR. I was still very much a public relations person. So I felt like media relations that earned media was the way to do this. And I, I had people back then, we didn't really call them influencers. We just called them bloggers for the most part. Um, I had, I was speaking at a PR uh, event one time and I had a young lady in the audience say, um, what would you say to bloggers who you reach out to and you pitch stories to who say, well, what's your budget? How much are you going to pay me? And my response to that young lady, this was in 2006, I think, was I would tell them to go to hell because that's not how this, this works. You know, public relations is earned media. You pitch stories. We have resources that your audience wants and needs. We are a tool, a resource for you. We're not going to pay you. That's not how it works. Well, I was prematurely um, reacting to an evolving media landscape that I hadn't quite yet fully gotten my head wrapped around. And the media landscape shifted so much. And I started to learn very quickly that bloggers are not trained journalists. They don't understand what PR is and they don't want to waste their time if they're not getting paid for it. This is how they're putting food on the table for their kids. So my entire attitude from 2006 to probably 2008 changed about how online influencers 
and journalists were different and how you had to handle them differently. And that mistake in thinking um, was uh, probably, you know, held me back for a little while. Um, but I recognized the mistake very quickly and course corrected it and, and, and things kind of took off after that. I started becoming an influencer marketing social media guy at that point because I realized the media landscape was changing and I had to get out in front of it. In your book, it, it starts off with the influencer stunt that wasn't. You want to tell us about that? Yeah. So um, it was a couple of years ago. And this was, again, you know, one of those I was looking at mainstream media coverage of influencers. And there was a young lady uh, named Tiffany Mitchell at the time. She's since gotten married. Her name is Tiffany Forrest now. Um, but she is Tiffarelli on Instagram. She has a couple hundred thousand followers. She's kind of a lifestyle influencer, photographer, uh, sort of designer type person. And so she also, uh, the group of people that follow her really identify with her outlook on the world. And she's also someone who's very transparent, almost, you know, sort of awkwardly so sometimes. She uh, exposes herself and is very vulnerable to her audience as kind of a therapeutic practice uh, for keeping her own sanity in life. Um, and that's what really appeals uh, to her audience. So that's the kind of lifestyle influencer she was. Well, she was uh, out on a uh, photo shoot uh, with her photographer, professional photographer that helps take her pictures um, and uh, another uh, person who uh, she works with. And they had gone to the, the photo shoot on motorcycles. They all had you know, kind of antique type motorcycles. They rode them out there. On the way back from this photo shoot, she unfortunately had an accident. Now, it wasn't, she wasn't hurt badly, um, but she had an accident. Well, in the ensuing sort of after everybody found out she was okay, there were a couple people pulled off to the side of the road to help and whatnot. Um, her photographer's friends started taking pictures because she knew Tiffany would want to see and, and see the documentation of all this at some point. So again, everybody was okay. They were just waiting on, you know, ambulance or tow truck or whatever to arrive. So her friends started taking pictures at one point. Um, one of the bystanders who came by to help put a bottle of water, happened to be a smart water bottle, next to Tiffany as she was you know, lying there on the side of the road. Well, one of the pictures had that bottle of smart water in it, and, then, and you could see the logo. When Tiffany got these pictures from her photographer friend, she posted them. She was like, I'm so glad that she captured this moment, this vulnerable moment for me. And I wanted to share what happened with my audience. So it was a long Instagram carousel stories of pictures and whatnot. And she told the story and shared that, you know, part of her life. Well, you know, the buzz feeds of the world, the people who aren't journalists, but actually just report innuendo and, and rumors and stuff, got hold of that and said, oh, look, this influencer is faking her influence. She staged a motorcycle accident to put a smart water bottle in a post. Tiffany didn't work with smart water. It was just placed there by a bystander. It was a real accident. She could yeah. have been hurt very badly. What that ultimately led to, the, the social media, you know, uh, buzzards got a hold of that. And Tiffany basically was kind of a pariah for brands for about a year. She lost work because her reputation was damaged because anytime you Googled her, it was like, look at this influencer who staged a motorcycle accident just to promote a brand. And she didn't have anything to do with that at all. Oh my goodness. And so um, she went on, you know, Instagram stories and she told her story. She, you know, followed up with all of the reporters and what, but by the time the, the word on something like that, get, that gets out there with our, you know, attention span theater, social media yeah. world, and the fact that we're all looking for a train wreck, 
everybody just assumed, oh yeah, she's that one who staged a, a motorcycle accident. And so that was sort of my entree into the book to say, influencers are important. Influencers are effective and influencers are paying attention to them. And what you are seeing from the mainstream media is not always right. It's not always accurate. This is an incredibly uh, effective and efficient way to spend your money from a marketing standpoint. There's a world of influencers out there that are incredibly effective. So don't believe what you read on Buzzfeed. Don't really Re believe what you read when they're only talking about the bad things that are happening in the influence space. You've got to start looking a little deeper as a business and as a brand to understand that there are hundreds of thousands of influential people out there who might be really perfect for your brand to partner with to connect with the audience that you're ultimately trying to reach. And so that was sort of one of the things that inspired the book. And so I kind of started with that story because it's a good hook to get people interested in. Yeah. And influencers are people too. We need to be careful to not judge them. They're just out there doing the best they can usually. That's true. Okay. In your book, in part one, you talk about the problem with influencer marketing and how influencer marketing became a problem. Will you yeah. address that? Yeah. So I think I've, I've touched on it a little bit in our discussion here, but I mean, ultimately when people who are in the business world, who own businesses, who don't live in the talking about marketing all the time, like maybe you and I do, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to have conversations about influencer marketing more than maybe once every three or four months. And it's probably going to be the result of something they saw on Buzzfeed or something. Um, and so the, the, the everyday business owners perception of influencers is probably that they're, you know, superficial, um, sometimes fraudulent, um, you know, you know, not very good investments of your money, you know, content creators online that are just, you know, participating in this land grab over brands wanting to spend money with people with big follower counts. They think of them as Instagrammers and YouTubers. So my problem with that and the problem that, that poses for influencer marketing is it's completely ignoring you know, the vast majority of the influence marketing world. Yes, there are influencers out there who built their audiences fraudulently. It's probably 10, 15% of what's out there. Yes, there are influencers out there who are living their best life, even though there's no way that they could even afford to live whatever life they're performing for their Instagram feeds. And they're probably superficial and they probably aren't very effective for brands. But there's a vast you know, world of influencers out there like Derek Wolf at Over the Fire Cooking, who has an engaged audience who, if the brand aligns right, and you put him in front of his audience with your brand, it can be very, very effective for you in communicating your message to that audience. So the problem with influencer marketing is we think of it in terms of influencers with an R on the end of it. The argument in the book that I make is we've got to pull, get rid of that R Pull back and think about what you're trying to do. What's the action? What's the verb? The verb is influence. I'm yeah. trying to influence an audience. And when you think in terms of I'm trying to accomplish influence as opposed to I'm trying to work with influencers, now all of a sudden you don't worry so much about Instagram and YouTube and you start to see there's all sorts of channels. There's all sorts of opportunities and there's all sorts of people who can help me get to my audience. If I'm a local business in whatever town you're in and um, I sell products primarily to parents, the president of the local PTA might be the most important influencer I have. 
and they may not be on Instagram or YouTube or Twitter or anything else. So it's really just, let's drop that R. Let's reframe how we think about influencer marketing. Get rid of the R, start thinking about it in terms of what we're trying to do, influence marketing. And now all of a sudden, strategically, you start to think of it in a different way. Thank you so much, Jason, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we can leverage influencers to gain credibility with our audience while building awareness, increasing sales, and expanding our reach. Number two, influencers can impact a significant purchase decision for customers far greater than the brand messaging or our own website. Number three, we shouldn't believe everything we read in the media. While there may be bad influencers out there, there are hundreds more that can help our brand grow. Number four, instead of looking at it as influencer marketing, we should call it influence marketing. We're trying to build influence, not just work with influencers. To learn more about or connect with Jason, you can find him on LinkedIn, visit his website at jasonfalls.com, um, or listen to his podcasts. You can also check out his books on amazon.com, and there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook that I wrote about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority for your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I wish you success in your influence marketing. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.